Welcome to Homicide the Podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Brandon. And welcome to episode thrice. Three. Four? Episode four? Oh, fucker. I have this listed as episode <laughs> three. Yeah. It's not. It's episode four. Like, <sighs> I feel like we're too well, we're not early into our podcast for you to not realize what episode we're on. You know it's why? It's because I'm taking the notes from the previous episode and just copying the Google document. And I changed the t- the title. So would you like to say what this episode is, Brandon? Yep. So this is episode four. <laughs> Thank you. Of Homicide the Podcast. <laughs> and where I'm, we are. Mm-hmm. I was I was gonna continue mm-hmm. Sorry about let me. That. Yeah. But today's episode is on murders with no bodies. <gasps> no body convictions. Crazy. How can you murder somebody that doesn't have a body? <laughs> I know. That's the question. <laughs> I'm excited for this little episode, but Brandon, first off, hello, Brandon, and hello, Anna, our producer, who you just heard. Uh, We love her. It was also her birthday. It Um, was. Happy. Yes. Happy Happy birthday birthday to you. Clapping for myself. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yes. That was fun. It was fun. Um, And we're missing Ethan today. He is traveling the world in Mexico City. Hi, Ethan. Mm -hmm. Have fun. But also, no. Bye, Ethan. (laughs) But also, Um, no. But also, no. (laughs) How dare you? He will be back and um, and grace you with his voice and his hello. camera talents when he <laughs> returns. Yep. Anyway, super excited about our stuff today. But Brandon, how was your week? It was typical. Great story. I mean, did anything happen this week? But I'm I'm like sitting here and I'm like I don't know what happened this week. It's a busy week. Anna, how was your week? <laughs> See, the thing that's hard is that. I know everything that's happened with you, and you know everything that's happened with me. But so. I don't always pay attention, so it's still well, kind of new. True. Yeah, but it's nice to have a third. Yay! <laughs> it is. I can tell you this: we have officially launched the podcast, and we have a lot of really great interests. We have some awesome we do. reviews. We've had some really great reviews too. coming through. Um, granted, we know a lot of them, <laughs> but it's exciting to see the ones that we don't know. <laughs> yeah. To be like, oh wait, no, it's real. We're people. <laughs> I know. At least some people like it's us. Exciting. And people are like, "Can I be on your podcast?" And I'm like, "Yes." What are they going to do? We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. (laughs) But we will have guests at some point, which I'm really excited about. But we also have Miss KKs and Martina Rita Fajita, Marty. So Kay, our cat, and Marty, our dog, are also gracing us with their presence. I mean, they always will be. Yeah. So, Anna, did we skip over your week? How was your week? It was good. My birthday was yesterday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was a little bit hungover for it. Yep. That's all right. So that was silly goose of me. Great way to bring in the new year. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. 26. That's how you do it. It is. I I love that. Your birthday reminds me of improv today where I told the story of being carried out of the dance club naked. Oh my gosh, your cat. So, oh, I thought I thought Marty was your cat. Oh, I was no. Like, <laughs> no. I was like, your cat loves your me. Cat She's going to jump on my lap. <laughs> KK, come here right here, honey. Come on. Yeah, come here. She's such a bitch. Come here. Right she here. might. No. Nobody, uh, literally no one listening to this can see her. And they're like, all. what the hell are they but talking about? I'll describe it. She's on our artistic carpet. She's looking at us. She's ready. She's willing. She's questioning. She's, She's contemplating. Ready. She's, She's willing. looking. She She's like, is, is this the right idea? Yep. She's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to sit here and stare at you. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So weeks were great. We're going to dive into our no body conviction episode is. Yay. (laughs) Episode is. I don't know. Brandon, I think you get to go first today to tell us about your story. I do. Brandon's been on a trend of like fucked up stories. So I know. And. Yeah. And I actually think yours is probably going to be a little bit more fucked up than mine from what you've said. Because the. The weird thing about this is, like I said, Kevin and I kind of like know what's happening with each other all the time because obviously we're married, we're together all the time, we work together, we do this together, it's just all the time. But this is the one thing that we have that we tell each other that we're not going to talk about. And I have a hard time not being like, shit, Kevin, you need to hear this, (laughs) right? So I'm excited (laughs) for it. Cool. Can you tell us real quick? I I want to do a, before we dive in, I want to do a little shout out because we have some people that are purchasing some swag. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. If you're not haven't been on our website, we have swag, which is exciting. Yeah. So I just want to give a little shout out to one of my um, sisters, Brianne, who jumped on and hey girl. and purchased <laughs> some some swaggies. She's always been so supportive of us. She's lovely. Anyway, homicide. I'm sporting our hat. It's the dad hat because we like a good daddy. And Brandon has a cup, which is a cup. <laughs> Wow, you are a great salesman. (laughs) Okay, Vanna. (laughs) 
which Vanna. is a cup. Well, Vanna's not a sales, I guess. She's more just like Vanna White. Oh. Jeopardy Javanna White? Yeah, I don't know why I said that. Anyways. Friend, you are precious. Okay, let's get your Prada glasses and let's dive in. Party glasses? Prada. Prada glasses. Okay. Oh Anyways. Okay. Yep. So are you ready for my first my first episode? I've been my, ready for, for my week. story? A week. Yes, we're ready. Okay, cool. Anyways. Okay, so my story is mm. on the murder of Hella Nielsen. Hel- Hella? Hella Nielsen. Well, Hella Crafts. Hella Crafts. Like her name is Hella? Okay, now you're making me question it. <laughs> I think it might be Helly because it's H-E-L-L-E. It's not Helly. Hold on. Let's get... Here, I'll put my microphone to it. Hella Crafts. Hella Crafts? Hella Crafts. It's Hella Crafts. It's Hella. All right. I bet you she's... But it is spelled H-E-L-L-E. She is hella fun. Uh, or was. No, she's probably was. dead. But, all right. Was. All right. Okay, so Helen Nielsen and Richard Crafts met on May 24th, 1969, mm. which I feel like it's pretty specific on being on May 24th, but they know that date because they met in Miami, Florida, when Hella was training to become a flight attendant for Pan American Airlines. <gasps> Pan American. Right. Being an airplane pilot, it was no surprise that she would meet Richard. What is Kay doing? I don't know. She's jumping on pillows. Sorry, our cat. Kay, Kay. She's fine. She's oh. just right. trying to have an adventure. What would you do if she just had a massive shit right there? <laughs> That'd be awful. She's done that before. All right. Oh my going. God. I know. Uh, out of nowhere? Uh, on this like chest that we no longer have because she's fucking massively shit all over it. <laughs> she did. Yeah. What the hell? You know yeah. what? Accidents happen to everybody and things and Queen animals. She's so cute though. Oh my God. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, cool. So Hella was born on July 4th, 1947 in Denmark. Hella was known as a bright and outgoing person who made friends fairly easy. Throughout her life, she jumped around a bit, going to England for college, then moving to France to be a, an au pair, which is a nanny. Oh, au pair. Yeah. And then eventually she got a job as a flight attendant with Capital Airways, where she would be constantly jumping from France, Brussels, Germany, and Africa. After some time, Hella decided to apply for a position at Pan Am, which she ended up getting. Richard, he was born on December 20th, 1937 in Darien, Connecticut. Oh. People who knew him uh, talked about how he how he had a very cold demeanor and he always had like a cold stare to him. But he was always interested in flying. And so he got certified by the late 1950s. However, he paused his piloting career for a little bit because he joined the, the Marines. Mm. And by the time he left the Marines in 1968, Richard became a pilot for Eastern Airways. And he also became a part-time police officer. So in 1975, after six years of knowing each other and dating, Hella and Richard ended up getting married and settling in the Danbury suburb of Newtown, Connecticut. Mm. So yeah, the same Newtown from the Sandy Hook shooting, which is an interesting parallel, but they're not really correlated at all. Goodness. So paired with their three children outwardly, you'd think that they had a normal relationship. However, it was really rocky. So after 12 years of marriage, Helen knew something was up. Richard was often away, and although he was a pilot and he'd be traveling a lot, he was still, when he wasn't flying, he was still gone. So he just would get up and leave for a few days on end, and Hella wouldn't know where she, he was. So mm. Hella assumed he was cheating, yeah. but up until this point, she had no idea why he was never around, and she wanted to find out. She only assumed that he was cheating. So she didn't like have a conversation with him to be like, hi, husband, where are you going? No, not that I not that I saw. Mm. What year was this again? This was 1975. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, sometimes I should just remember my notes and go further, because I have... So she asked him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well. It's literally the next few words, which he obviously denied, and it only angered him that she would ask. Okay. So by 1986, Hella was over it, and she decided to look into getting a divorce. So after meeting attorney Diane Anderson, things started to shift gears. She would talk about the potential cheating, Richard's volatile temper, and how he was physically abusive to her. And Diane was concerned for Helly's safety. So together they decided to hire. You just called her Helly. I did. Hella's safety. Thank you. <laughs> You're such a cunt. <laughs> Anyways, uh, anyway. um, together they decided to hire a private detective to confirm their suspicions so that they could have proof of something. So here walks in Keith Mayo of Mayo Detective Agency. <gasps> Mayo? Mayo. Hmm. I like that name. Okay. <laughs> I was going to make a dad joke and be like, was he, never mind, keep going. Right. Mayonnaise, right? May- mayo. Yes. mayo. Yeah, was he like the descendant of mayo? 
Ugh, you don't get it. No, ah. no, I do get it. It's just not that funny. I, okay, but you remember that fucking joke that you made in that last episode? What were we talking about? And you were like, oh, God damn it. I just heard it. Drano and the cat. Yes. Uh, that was stupid. It was stupid. I was listening to it again, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's why I love you, though. Okay, keep going. Okay, anyway. So the only lead Keith was given was one of their phone bills because earlier Helen noticed a known phone number that she didn't know who it belonged to and it showed up repeatedly on the phone bill. So she gave it to him and was like, here, Wait, she do gave, something She with gave this. him the phone bill? Yeah, so that oh. Keith can find out who it was. So Helen ended up being right because the, and the lead was enough. So a few days later, he had enough proof to share with Hella. So picture after picture he shared with Hella, showed Richard with a woman, the same one, Kissing, being affectionate, holding hands, touching each other, rubbing each other, all that kind of Scandal. stuff. Scandal. Yeah. Rubbing each other. Rubbing each what other. What does that mean? How do you rub somebody? Like a little, little rub on the shoulder. Oh, but that's nice. Yeah, right? Like I mean, not to do... do that, right? Mm. I mean... I guess friends don't kiss. They don't I mean, kiss they do. or be affectionate. Or... I don't I usually... Mean, I don't, I don't, if I friends. like somebody, I'm like, hi, but I don't... You, you just don't go like, up to I don't them even, I just them. don't rub people, yeah. Yeah. Like at all. Okay, yep, inappropriate. <laughs> now, Hella was expecting this, but it still hit really hard. Keith stated it, her response was that she just broke down and she cried for at least five to ten minutes just sobbing. Understandably. Which I mean, is sad. If you've been cheated... Well, you have, no, you haven't been cheated on because it means I cheated on you, which I have not. <laughs> Getting cheated on sucks. You've been cheated on. No. Oh. Knock on wood. Right. <laughs> well, you have wood right there, yeah. I have, and it's horrible. Yeah. Well, in that paired yeah. with... With not by this abusive relationship. Yep. No, not by me. Yeah, that's a good that thing I to know clarify. Of. I know. I was about oh, to say, not that up. I know of, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess you, you you just might not know. But yeah, that's yeah. how yeah. that goes. She broke yeah, down. So yeah. even with going through this abusive relationship, obviously you marry somebody, you want to have a life with them, you have your dreams and your goals with them, and then yeah. that's like everything's crumbling at that point. Yeah. But this ends up bringing us to the evening of November eighteenth, nineteen eighty six. Kevin was born. You were alive. What year? November 18th, 1986. I was. I had my birth year then. <laughs> my birth year. I had my birth year. <laughs> that was my birth year. <laughs> so after a long trip from Frankenfurt, Germany, Hella was dropped off at her house in Newton, Newton, Newtown, and was never seen again. It sounded like I said futon. It did. <laughs> so Hella was dropped off at her house from a long flight that she was working with a friend, mm. and she was never to be seen again. So... <gasps> Throughout, uh, I know. So throughout the next few weeks, people started to question her whereabouts, and she wasn't showing up for work. Her the crew was getting concerned, mm. their family and friends were getting concerned, and they all felt it was really unusual for her to leave. She had young kids still, and she wasn't the type of person to just get up and leave. So it was right at this time where Richard would give out a variety of different stories of where she was. First, she he was saying that she was visiting her mother in Denmark because she was sick. He said she was visiting the Canary Islands with a friend. And then he also just would tell people that he just didn't know where she was. This is when her friends started to get even more concerned. So Helly wasn't... I just said it again. You just... You threw it to me. I'm telling you her name's Helly. I should have just put Hella on all of these. H-E-L-L-A. You know who would have loved this name? Gwen Stefani. Wait. She said Holla back. No, never mind. (laughs) Just kidding. You ain't no Hella back girl. I like that more. (laughs) You ain't no hella back girl. Yeah, that's Shut nice. Up. All right. Helly was open to a lot of her closest friends about her relationship with Richard. So they knew that Richard and her weren't really close and that he would hit her. And so that paired with the fact that before she went missing, she told her friends and her lawyer, if something happens to me, don't assume it was an accident. Ooh. Which, you know, that's never good. No, see, when you got to be saying that shit, you need to fix something in your life. Right? Yeah. Right? Like... There's, you're doing something that you need to change. Mm-hmm. So 13 days after going missing, Diane reached out to Keith Mayo. After hearing from some of Hella's friends and hearing the panic in their voices, Diane knew something was up. So from this conversation, Keith ended up going to the Newtown police to report her as a missing person. And Keith was the uh, private the investigator. The private investigator, okay. yeah. So now, like a lot of the stories that we'll probably end up talking about, and we already have with even the Candyman killer. The police ended up turning a blind eye and didn't believe Keith. Can we just do a PSA real quick for all of the police? Because I was, last night, I did not feel great. And so I was like laying on the couch watching a whole bunch of <laughs> murder shows. I know. And they were all about the NYPD 
not doing anything about missing persons. Yeah. And they were assholes to these family members that were trying to look for these people. It was awful. Yeah. So PSA, police officers, detectives, uh, come on now. Right. Especially if it's like, what was this, 13 days? Oh, so all right. to go into it a little bit more, don't forget, Richard was a part-time police officer. Oh, shit. Yeah. Corruption. I mean, there are a lot of domestic abusers that are police officers. Which yeah. is... Like that's really terrifying. It is terrifying. About that. Yeah. Oh yep. God, we should bring those up at the next episode or something. We that's should. actually terrifying too, because what a way to cover up something. I oh, mean, yeah. it's a right? power and thing. And it's a boys it's club. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. If yeah. I need power, then I'll go be a police officer. Yep. Ugh, but it's also a boys club. I feel like they're like, I'm oh, going to protect my own, even if yep. you murder somebody. Yeah. Yeah, Ew, absolutely. Well, I hate it. absolutely. So, although he wasn't part of the Newtown Police, he was the neighboring Southbury Police Station. Mm-hmm. However, people. It's, Connecticut's really small. I grew up in Connecticut. People know people in towns all over. So yeah. they're all little tiny towns. Now that we all know that this means that because he was a police officer, there's no way that he could have done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have in here, and this is just funny with what you just said. I have, like, it doesn't fucking matter. If someone's missing for that long, you fucking look into the case. It's a lot of Which I, no, but that, I, but I think that that happens a lot because all, even last night, all those episodes, they were like, they're an adult. They're allowed to uh-huh. go missing. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You uh, are allowed to go missing. You're allowed Rest to go to missing. You know. Just an FYI. Right. But like, but how also, many times are people actually murdered during that, that period when they're like, well, people are allowed to go missing? Like, what's the stats yeah. to be like people that are actually, oh yeah, they just went out for three weeks. And then how many are actually murdered? It, yeah. It's I probably more murder. So after being told that she'd probably return, Keith left the police office and decided to do his own investigation. At this point, Keith was super invested. I mean, he knew what kind of man Richard was, mm. so he didn't really want him to get away with it. Yeah. Keith ended up talking to the family's live-in nanny. In this recorded conversation, the nanny talked about seeing a mysterious dark stain on the carpet inside the primary bedroom door after Hella's disappearance. She said it looked like a stain, but it hadn't been there before. She then talks about how Richard eventually ripped up the carpet and replaced it. When the nanny questioned him, he wouldn't give her a reason why. So along with the carpet, there was also a large deep freezer that was missing from the home. In the credit card receipt receipts, <laughs> receipts, <laughs> credit card receipts showed that Richard rented a U-Haul truck and a wood chipper shortly after she went missing. <laughs> I'm getting very much Fargo right now. Wood chipper. Yeah, Fargo. this story may have inspired Fargo. <gasps> It not may has it it has actually my fun facts at the end. Oh um, shit! Why do I always jump ahead? Because and you I, just I haven't do. even seen this. No, no, you just this is just what you do, okay. <laughs> right? It's just you and I love you. No excuse. Anyways, <laughs> so he got the wood chipper, but they also found receipts for bed sheets, a comforter, and a chainsaw. Bed what? sheets, a chainsaw, a comforter, and a wood chipper, and a U-Haul truck. All right. Well, yeah, <laughs> a normal shop. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a. Typical Target run. Sure, uh, your average Target. I don't think Target sells chainsaws <laughs> or wood chippers or you all. You never know. <laughs> um, so, with his evidence on hand, Keith eventually went to the county prosecutor, who brought the case to Connecticut State Police, mm. who took the case a little bit more serious. So, they obviously started by questioning Richard. They asked him to take a lie detector test, and he was asked obvious questions like, "Do you know where your wife is? Did you kill your wife? And did, have you seen anybody?" Kill your wife? Did you have, have anyone you kill your wife? Seen anybody kill your wife? I, I, I meant to say. <laughs> did you, I know that's actually not the question. Oh. I meant to say. <laughs> God, I'm so tough sometimes. <laughs> I meant to say, did you have anyone kill your wife? Okay, that makes more yeah, sense. That does make more sense. So answering no to all of the questions, mm-hmm. they were surprised to see that he passed the polygraph test. Yeah. Still questioning Richard, they decided to bring in the forensic experts by december 26th richard was in florida vacationing with his kids because your wife is missing for Naturally. less than a month yeah. or just over and let's go uh, to florida yeah, where let's... everything is man's man's right. world yep. right. yay disney yeah uh, <laughs> except for i that. killed my wife let's go to disney oh they went to disney i don't know i just oh, oh. i mean probably they went to florida kids, typically when i hear that i think i think well they could have went to dinosaur kids. world or legoland or dinosaur, world. dinosaur sure. world there actually is a dinosaur it's totally world. it's right outside of tampa it's it fucking is. weird i've never been but i know no. somebody who works there yeah so troopers quickly got a search warrant and decided to use that time to search his home, which okay. ended up being pretty good, I guess. So bringing along Dr. Henry Lee, the director of Connecticut State Forensic Laboratory, their goal was to try to find something linking Richard to the missing case. Hmm. 
As they were checking the bedroom, they found a few things. A few small fragments of carpet, a six-inch streak of blood on the side of the mattress, and then Dr. Lee found five tiny little spots on top of the mattress that you could barely see of blood, or what he thought was blood. So bringing back the the micro blood samples, bringing back all of the evidence. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing back all of the evidence. (laughs) Such a weirdo. I know. Anyway, it's bringing back the evidence. And they wanted to confirm a, th- a few things. They first confirmed that it was blood. And then they were able to confirm that it was human blood. And that it wasn't like some other kind of animal or whatever. Yeah. That it was type O positive blood, which was the same as Hella's. They also did a microscopic analysis test that revealed that it was circulation blood and not menstrual blood. Meaning the blood was due to some type of blood vessel injury. I didn't actually even know that was a thing. Yeah. I like I didn't know that they could determine which I mean it makes sense I, yeah. with menstrual blood I'm assuming there's more than just blood there so yeah, well, they're able to test Well I think that, that it's, there's cuz there's also mucus and then I mean basically yeah. you're it's like you're shedding yeah. all the yeah which makes like sense. I know I mean Anna <laughs> is that the case yeah. we're just <laughs> I like started listing off everything that's in period yeah. blood. This, this. I'm like yeah it's this this, this. <laughs> and I'm like I think it's these right. <laughs> and we're like there's different kinds of blood. I mean, I knew that there was different okay. like types of blood, but yeah, we're very. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I thought your menstrual blood was the same as your blood running through your veins. No, no it's right. not. Doctor Lee was also able to tell the angle and intensity of the impact. The blood hit the mattress at an angle of 10 degrees. So throughout his investigation, he determined that the blood splatter and the estimated speed of the blood droplets on the mattress, the tiny little specks that he found, were consistent with an injury from a blunt object being struck down on somebody who would have been kneeling or leaning over near the bed. Oh, honey. Hella. So after... Hella. After the investigation, the police were looking for more evidence since they still had not found the body. It is then when Joseph, a Joseph Hines, drops into the police station. He told the police that the night of the 18th, he was plowing the roads because there was a store, a snowstorm that night. Um, and he was driving by Lake Zor at 3.30 in the morning. I think that's how you say it. I could be not saying that right. Lake Zor? Z-O-A-R. Is that like a lake in Connecticut? Yeah, oh. apparently okay. it is. So he was driving by the lake and he noticed a rental truck with a wood chipper attached to it close to the shore of the lake. He saw a man appear for a short second in an orange poncho, but he couldn't really make him out. So interested in what Joseph was saying, the police were like, hey, could you bring us to where that was? And so he did. He brought them right to the spot. So the police searched the shoreline and collected a bunch of wood chips that were in the area. And at first, they didn't really see anything crazy. However, once they kept going, they started to find some interesting things like mail that was addressed to Hella and then some small pieces of metal. Mail, mail, like it was addressed to Hella. Uh, yeah, if you're mail. gonna if you're gonna wood chip, you know, you might as well throw the mail in, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Let's get all the extra spam. What the letters? Fuck? There's Roman. a lot. Yeah. 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 So, well. according to homicide investigator Marty, I'm just gonna say that because I don't know how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> At this point, they really uh, knew they didn't really know how the wood chipper was involved until they started to dig in a bit. So eventually, they found oh. around. I know. <laughs> No. Yeah. So this is the fun part. So they found around three ounces of human tissue. That's oh. not a lot. No. Well, just the oh. crown of a tooth, an actual tooth itself, a fingernail with pink polish, chips of bones, bleach blonde hairs, and they counted there was 2,260 of them, which seems like a lot of hair. They Wait. Yeah. Individual hairs, they were like one. They legit two, counted every single three. piece of hair. Sounds okay. Right? I mean, science. <laughs> sure. I just feel like that's a waste of time to count every strand of hair. Well, they probably had to go through and test them all to make sure that they came from the same person. Okay. So if they were yeah. collecting evidence and they found like. I guess I'm assuming it's like clumps of hair, but clearly it's it was through. clumps of hair, but it was like pieces oh. in. They still went through and okay. tested all yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. they also found some more typo blood. And then blue fibers that resembled Hella's favorite cotton night shirt. They also decided to dive in the water to see if they could find anything else. And here they found the chainsaw broken into pieces. And oddly, the serial number was scratched off. Oh, he was a cop. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Right. But bringing the evidence back to the lab, they were able to test it. Um, While inspecting the chainsaw, they found traces of blonde hair, more hair and blood and human tissue. 
They were also able to restore the serial number with a chemical solution, oh, which so cool. they were able to trace it back to the warranty card of the chainsaw that had Richard's name all over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they inspected the hair, which matched the hairs that she used on that was off of her hairbrush to make sure that it was hers and mm-hmm. it, it matched. They checked the fingernails and they tested the polish color on the nails with the color of the polish Hella owned and it matched one that was sitting on her nightstand. They decided to test the bones that they found. They noticed a specific pattern on all of the little samples of bones that they found that didn't seem right. So they wondered if it was from the wood chipper. So they rented the same machine, the same type of machine. I don't think it was the same exact machine, but they tested the same type of machine and they put a pig carcass through through it since their skin and bone is similar to humans. No, wow. <laughs> it's so gross. And there's actual videos of this. Like I saw the video of them testing it and then throwing the pig in, but they were able to confirm a Ew, match. you watched the videos of them doing that? What? I mean, it was just a... They were, it was like their investigation that they had recorded. No, but you watched them put the pig in there. I saw it, but I didn't watch like that piece. What I was watching only like stopped it after the, they threw the pig in. I oh, didn't got see it, the got pig it, got yeah, it. Okay, no, yeah. no, I didn't right. see that part. Good. With doing that, they were able to confirm a match on the patterns of the bone fragments of the pig with the bones that they found on the shoreline. So they mm. had the same pattern marks on the bones. They also brought in a forensic dentist to try to match the crown and the tooth that they found on the shore uh, de Hella, which they were able to. And then from the findings, investors... investors investigators came to the conclusion that hella arrived home she confronted richard with the images of the affair in anger richard must have struck hella in the head with the end of a police flashlight at least two times and stored her body in the deep freezer until she was frozen that night so later that night then they speculate that he cut her body with the chainsaw and then fed her through the wood chipper and tried to hide the remains at the lake because the body was frozen. There wasn't a lot of blood at the scene. And most of the small fragments that he faced to the water went into the water only to be washed away with the shore, on the shoreline. That's why there wasn't much evidence left behind. That's why they only found three ounces of human Human tissue. Yeah, yeah. By January 13th, 1987, the State of Connecticut Medical Examiner's Office issued a death certificate due to the overwhelming evidence that she was... Put through the wood chipper. Yeah, yeah. In May 1988, the murder trial began. When the four-month-long case went to the jury for deliberation, they were in there for 17 days, and one juror was in favor of the acquittal. This juror ended up refusing to deliberate any further after the 17 days, and he walked out, thus causing the case to go into a mistrial. Jesus. So by <laughs> November 1989, a second case came to trial. And at this time, after eight hours deliberation, Richard received a guilty verdict and was sentenced to 50 years for murder. Richard. Yeah. Like a couple of my other stories, I'm not finished. Oh, Jesus. Right. Moving forward to January 30th, 2020, 20 years after being in prison, 83-year-old Richard was released early. Due to a law that was in place at the time of the sentencing that allowed for sentences to be reduced for good behavior, his sentence was reduced by 30 years. Not fucking okay. 30 years. Since then, the law has changed, but it obviously worked out in Richard's favor. And then according to the Newtown Bee, after his release, Richard moved to a halfway house for veterans in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where he would be supervised by a parole officer until around June of 2020. From what I've so seen, is he he's not dead. Alive? I think he's still alive. Just chilling in Connecticut somewhere. New York, maybe, at this point. So, Fuck you, but Richard. But he is obviously old. In 2020, he was, what What did I say? 83? Yeah. 83. So, so I have a couple interesting facts. One was the fact that this murder helped inspire the 1996 movie Fargo. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first murder conviction in the state of Connecticut with no body. And interestingly, this was the first case that was ever aired on Forensic Files. Episode <sighs> 1, Season 1. Oh, yeah. forensic files. We all know how much I love forensic files. Yeah. So I'm sure we probably We've actually probably seen it. heard this one before, but we... There's been so many goddamn just, episodes. Yeah. Because there's so many murders. So Brandon. that is the story of Hella Crafts. Hella. <laughs> all right, Brandon. Well, that was an interesting episode. Poor Hella. Right. Fucking wood chippers, man. I know. Whoever would think yeah. about putting somebody in a wood chipper, it's like, fuck you. I know. It's <laughs> also interesting, too, because no body conviction, but they had pieces. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, but there was no full true. body. There was no full body. Yeah. Okay. Are we ready? I'm excited for this. The noises you were making as you were writing this story. <laughs> Guys, this one's rough. Okay. So. Of... <gasps> oh, I no. Know. 
It's sad though. Okay, 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 okay. So I also gave this one a title and it's Dear Albert, You're Gross. <laughs> okay, I do. I actually did find something because I thought this was interesting that there's like a stat out here for no body murder trials at this point. And you said that like your last one was the first conviction in the state of Connecticut, mm-hmm. right? So apparently this is called corpus delicti, which means the body of the crime. Basically it says that corpus delicti requires proof that a crime took place before an individual can be charged with that crime. So with murder, a corpse is considered the most crucial piece of evidence, which makes total sense. But a body can generally tell investigators when and how a murder happened, but there are cases where the victim obviously is never found and homicide is prosecuted and often proven. But since 1843, more than 500 known no-body murder trials have been held in the United States. That's a lot. That is a lot. Interestingly enough, I actually did look up to see who was the first person to ever be convicted. Okay. Did you know who that was? No. It's Robert Leonard Ewing Scott. It's a long name. Right, it's really long. He was convicted of killing his wife, Evelyn Throsby Scott, in 1959. He was the first one to be convicted of a murder without a body. Was that in 1843? Oh. Yeah. Well, you know. That might have been here, because is your story here? Um, Yeah. Okay. Maybe we'll just edit that part. All right. No, it's good. No, we're (laughs) keeping it in. (laughs) Okay. Dear Albert, you're gross. This episode is about Albert Fish, who's also known as the Brooklyn Vampire. The werewolf vampire. Oh, I didn't do my vampire. You did it. (gasps) We don't say vampire, we say vampire. <laughs> also a Kaylee reference, my friend who died by suicide. Anyway, Albert Fish, also known as the Brooklyn Vampire, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Boogeyman, the Moon Maniac, and the Gray Man. Oh, they gave him a lot of names. The Gray Ew. Man. The Gray Man. Why gray? Ew. Does it go into the story? It does. He was a serial killer, a child rapist, and a cannibal. No. Oh, God. Like, Guys. Like, Three of the worst things somebody can wait. Be. Like who's the the star from the show that's a cannibal? Jeffrey Dahmer. No, oh. the the actor. Ew! Oh! Oh! Played alongside oh. Timothy Chalamet and Call Me by Your Name. Oh God! Army he's so Hammer. Gross. Army, Army Hammer. Hammer. Oh, bummer. Anyway, yeah, gross. Okay, this guy's way worse, but he's also gross. Albert Fish was born Hamilton Howard Albert Fish on May nineteenth, eighteen seventy, in Washington D.C. to Randall and Ellen Fish. He was small, quiet, and unassuming. Those get you. As a child, you. You know, as a child, he was actually plagued with mental illness and mental mental. God, am I Brandon? Sure. Um, um. Anyway, mental illness actually ran through his family. So his brother was actually in an asylum. His uncle had been diagnosed with mania, and his mother routinely experienced visual hallucinations. Jesus. Kind of sounds like Victor Licata. I know. There's some parallels. Albert's father was actually 75 years old oh when gosh. he was born. Oh. Damn, that's old. In 1870? Yeah. I, I thought people didn't live that long. Well, he did. <laughs> Maybe he didn't eat all the rotten meat that they sold in the early days. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so when Albert was uh, born, he his dad lasted five years and he actually died. What's a little bit sad about this is that his mom could not afford to take care of him and his three siblings. So she actually had to put them in an orphanage. And here's where shit turns. The orphanages were very different back then in general. They're not great. I've been in them, (laughs) but they were life back then was just, yeah, it was just a lot different for sure. I mean, there's no electricity, no plumbing. No. I will. Was there, when, when did all that start? I probably, yeah, it was 1870. Yeah. Yeah. It was like well before that. Maybe. Mm, sure look it up anyway so it's said that this the orphanage is where he conceived his passion for pain ew his personal passion for pain like he hurting gave himself birth to his passion for pain <laughs> <He gave> birth. <laughs> that's, that's actually what the word conceived, right? Right. Right. conceived his passion so off. like hurting himself or hurting others You'll see. Apparently at this orphanage, they would regularly beat children and encourage them to hurt each other as well. What the fuck? They did it so much. orphanage? Yes. It's like orphanage fight club? Basically. (laughs) So here's what's fucked. Fish loved the punishments. So while the other kids... I just love that you're going by his last name. Fish. Fish Fish loved it. Fish. Thank you for finding this. You're entertaining. serving. You're serving. Uh, fish. No, no, that's not a good term. Uh, <laughs> I know. Anyway, so yeah, so he loved the punishment. So all the other kids in this orphanage did not like to be punished. He was like, bring it on. He truly enjoyed the pain so much 
that he began to associate pain with pleasure, which then grew into a sexual sort of a, a sexual sexual gratification. Ugh. And he so was crazy still that, like that a young can, boy. And it's so crazy that your brain can like change that. In 1880, Albert's mom actually, Fish's mom, Albert's mom, was able to financially support and raise her own children again. So she actually took them all out of the home. Unfortunately, everything was already there, right? So yeah. his like love for getting hurt and having pain and like turning it into some sort of a sexual yeah. response. Once he was back in his mother's care... He missed the pain so much that he would beat himself. And in 1882, he actually developed a super unhealthy relationship with a telegraph boy who introduced him to urolagnia and coprophagia. Okay. What? So urolagnia, I'm probably saying that wrong, is sexual, I don't know what it is with P here, but sexual excitement associated with urine and or urination. No. Sexual excitement. So he loved some P. Mm -hmm. And then coprophagia is the act of consuming one's own feces. No. No. <laughs> oh, no. I know. No. Like consuming your own shit. He yes. ate his own poop. Yes. That's with how the telegraph not, How boy. do you not die from that? I feel like you should immediately die. Right? Or something. <laughs> like you have worms or something. I don't know. Like, something happens. And that's not at a time where they had like gum no. or Tic Tacs. <sighs> Also, or probably toothpaste. Did they have toothpaste then? <laughs> like, like, you'll press dang. Why you smell like shit? You got some shit breath. <laughs> That's so bad. Anyway, so yeah, this telegraph boy and him were like obsessed with playing with pee and eating their poop. So, cool. <laughs> Awful. I know. So if you have friends that do this, move away. Right? Don't be friends with them. Here's what's interesting. So this Imagine is having actually... a friend and being like, oh yeah, I love to eat I my love shit. To eat my own <laughs> shit. I would be like, goodbye. <laughs> we are no longer friends. No. From then, from eating his poop, he started developing sadomasochistic tendencies, which led to his obsession with sexual self-mutilization. Mutilation. Not mutilization. Mutilation. Self. So sexual self-mutilation. Like hurting himself while pleasuring himself? Oh, wait. He would take needles and shove them. Uh -huh. I mean, you just have to say a needle. I don't... <laughs> no. Actually, oh, no. <laughs> shove them where? He would right shove there. needles into his abdomen and into his groin, embedding them in his body. He would leave them in his body. There was no uh, taking them out. Oh There's actually God. an x-ray online where you can see 29 needles embedded in just his groin. And we know what our groin is, no. correct? Oh, my God. Guys. That's in your back, right? I'm just, just fucking. Oh, I'm I was just like, what? did you not take anatomy? Yes. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. So <laughs> he would also flog himself with a nail studded paddle. Flogging is like he'd. Whap, whap, himself. whap, whap. Yeah. So he was just shoving needles and shit and fucking hitting himself Ew. with a nail studded paddle. While eating his own shit. Like, motherfucker <laughs> needed to be in an asylum with his brother. Yes. What kind of <clears throat> orphanage was he in? This is insane. Oh, no, this was after the orphanage. No, this I know, but this brought, the orphanage brought in this behavior. Yeah, yeah. I, right, this is why we don't just beat children. Anyway. Okay, 1890. Once Albert was 20 years old, he actually moved to New York City. Oh, great. So, once in New York, his curiosity with pain grew so much that he started prostituting himself and molesting and torturing young boys. So, upon his arrival to New York City, he actually ended up becoming a sex worker yeah. here. And so, while he was sex working, that is when he started to grow a desire to molest young boys. Oh. Yeah. This is like another of version of the Candyman. Oh, God. Right? Except he was the fucking Brooklyn vampire. <laughs> I can't deal with it. In torturing these young boys, his favorite weapon to torture. What do you think it was? Well, something fucked up. It was that fucking nail-studded paddle. Of course. So he's just whipping all these. I can't. In 1898, Albert actually marries a woman named Anna Mary Hoffman in an arranged marriage that was facilitated by his mom. So his mom was like, you need to marry a woman. So she oh. found a woman for him and was like, here you go. I was going to say, I feel Get like married. that was, I wasn't expecting him to marry yeah. a woman. Well, I mean, it was 1898. Well, yeah. But he wouldn't go marry no well, man. Well, I didn't expect him to be marrying anybody. To just marry in general. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Gay marriage wasn't around then? No. <laughs> what? I know. So interestingly enough, he was a house painter, which I thought was really kind of interesting. Like, okay. So he became a house painter after he was a sex worker. I so, feel like the great. sex worker part was the, the surprise. Would be... No, I feel oh. like the paint is a surprise. I feel like, why didn't he just stay with the sex work? I don't know. Uh, maybe because his wife was like, what are you doing? You should paint houses. <laughs> I don't know. 
So you need to have a real job. <laughs> <laughs> Paint houses, Albert. Albert and Anna actually ended up having six kids. So he had Albert Jr. Of course. Anna, Eugene, Gertrude, Henry, oh. and John. Oh, and John. He never abused his own children. Oh. Ever. Uh, actually which kind of me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank <laughs> oh, you. Oh, he's a good dad. Oh, Thank you. Such a good dad. Fish, you're so great. <laughs> Ugh. So 1903, he was arrested for grand larceny and incarcerated to Sing Sing Prison, oh. which Sing Sing Prison is like a, oh shit. I wrote it down because I was like, oh, Sing Sing, this must have some sort of meaning. It didn't. It was just like the name. So 1903, he was arrested for that. Obviously, he got out pretty quick. And then jumped to 1920, he was working in Wilmington, Delaware, where he meets a guy named Thomas Keaton. And Thomas Keaton was said to have, have like developmental disabilities, mm -hmm. but they started engaging in a sadomasochistic relationship. Mm. So what's interesting about this set is that it's unclear if the relationship was actually consensual, but Albert is actually quoted as saying that he was intellectually disabled. Here's where things get spicy. Oh, now it's going to get <laughs> spicy. <laughs> yeah. So 10 days after the relationship started with Thomas, Albert decides to lure Thomas to an old farmhouse for a little rendezvous. Of course, rendezvous. In an old farmhouse. <laughs> it's like the fucking baseline for all gay porns, I feel <laughs> right. like. Which is stupid. But anyway, so for their little rendezvous. But instead of having a rendezvous, Thomas gets there and finds himself locked in this farmhouse. And instead, Albert tortures him for two weeks by mutilating his body, eventually leading to him cutting his penis almost off in half. Oh. Off in half. There's differing stories for both. But something happened to the dude's penis. Okay. So. Two weeks? Two weeks. In his excitement, Albert initially planned on killing Thomas, but decided against it because he felt it would bring unwanted attention to him. Instead, he's like, oh, goodness. So he made a mistake here. He puts peroxide on, on Thomas's wounds, bandages up his penis, gives him $10 for his troubles. Huh? I mean, he never sees Keaton again. So he was. You said he was a, afraid to, to get attention from that. So he yeah, he didn't want the unwanted attention from killing him. So mm -hmm. wouldn't it, he get more attention if the person was like, so, "Hey, this guy just did this to cut my penis off." <laughs> I'm thinking so, but yeah. But I also found it to be really interesting that he gave him ten dollars for his troubles. Right. For his trouble. You just cut my penis off. Right. You just tortured no me troubles. for two weeks. Like, I'm pissed. Right. Okay. That's like the first time that I got blackout drunk and I was like in a car with somebody, like, you know, the Uber pulls. Yes. And I'm like super drunk and the other person is just unsuspectingly there. <laughs> and when I got out of the car, I was like, I gave them some money and I was like, for your troubles. For your troubles. For dealing with me I on the car ride. Right. <laughs> For your troubles. <laughs> I just like, he $10, I mean, $10 and, you know, 18, whatever that was, 1920. That was quite a bit, right, in general. But like. Well, yeah, but that's. I not wonder, enough. Like, how was that exchange? That was not was worth like, my torture. No. I know. Like, oh, I bandaged you up. Here's $10 for your troubles. Farewell. Uh-uh. Fucking so, weird. At this point, maybe Albert. just kill me. Like, I don't. Albert is actually quoted because he's admitted to all of this shit. So he's actually quoted as saying, I shall never forget his scream and the look he gave me the fuck yeah you just cut my dick like I, <laughs> what look did he i can't so okay and did you not expect a scream i know so jump back just a kind of bit uh 1917 is actually when albert's mental illness really took a hold so i kind of jumped to 1920 but 1917 his mental illness in general was like really really going bananas so his wife actually ended up leaving him for another man named oh. john strobe strobe but he left but <laughs> this is interesting his wife left all six kids with albert so his mental illness is getting crazy, and she's like, peace, oh, leaves yeah. all kids with him. That's what, what kind of mom is that? So, okay. She gets remarried. What's interesting, and I didn't put it in my notes, but he, it's actually said that he would make his kids, he didn't abuse them, but he would make them play like these weird, not healthy games with each other. There wasn't a lot on it, but it's worth noting, I guess. But this is actually when his self-harm increased and got a little bit worse. So he put more pins into his groin. And you want to know what he started, you know, because the that sexual like pain can only go so far. He needs another one, right? Yeah. So you know what he ended up doing? What? He ended up stuffing wool covered in lighted, lighter fluid into his anus, his anus. <sighs> Which we and we, lighting it on fire, <laughs> which we call anus, uh, an anuses, anuses. So he wool covered in lighter fluid into his anus, and he would light it on fire. 
Again, I don't understand how this man didn't die. Thank you. Like, wasn't that like a little bomb inside of your butthole? (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) I feel like that would have like totally destroyed your intestines. I I just, I'm like, ow. Like, I I mean, he likes the pain. I mean, you're ow, he's ooh. Yeah, he's, he must have been just jerking it and was like, oh, yeah, yeah, ow. (laughs) Just like, that's that's a lot of, that's a lot. No. I can't. So, okay, 1919. This is right before the 1920 thing with Thomas. He had a full-blown obsession with torture and started to tinker with the idea of cannibalism. And that's when he started thinking about murder. So then that led to Thomas. After Thomas, he got really into it. And he's like, oh, I should kill kids. So he starts looking for kids that he, in his opinion, he thought wouldn't be missed. Which... I didn't include in here, but you can imagine what yeah. type of children he thought wouldn't be missed. I mean, they, that's, fucking racist, I mean that's kind but, of like the Candyman. Yeah. Not race-wise, but it was yeah. people who he thought nobody would Yeah, it was like, it, was, it wasn't only like due to race, but they, they specifically mentioned like little black boys. But then, you know, it was really kind of any othered children or, yeah. or kids that were, you know, homeless or, or in an orphanage or whatever. Basically how he was kind of abandoned when he yeah. was younger, that kind of thing. So... He actually started looking at advertisements in local papers. What's interesting about local papers then is that they would put advertisements for personals, basically, but also looking for work for their kids or work for themselves with kids. It was it was kind of an interesting thing. But local families would put out advertisements looking for someone to f- perform housework as well sometimes. Or young men would put personals out for work as well. So yeah. he was kind of scouring through there to like figure out just what he to, wanted to do. Yeah, just to find something. Yeah. First known attempt. July 11th, 1924, so four years after Thomas, he sees Beatrice Keel, an eight-year-old girl playing at her parents' farm in Staten Island. He tries to lure her by offering her money to help him look for rhubarb in the fields. Just a nice stroll in the fields for rhubarb. Her mother saw him and actually chased him away. But he did end up coming back to get her, and her parents caught him sleeping in their barn and chased him away. He never went back. So that was his first attempt. Beatrice, you lived, girl. Here's the confirmed. May 25th, 1928, four years after that, Albert sees a classified advertisement in the New York world placed by Edward Budd, who wanted a working position in the country. Edward was like an 18-year-old kid. Two days later, Fish, who was 58 at the time, met with the Budd family at their Manhattan home under the guise of hiring Edward, the 18-year-old, and his friend Willie to go and work on his farm that was like upstate. Upon going to the house and meeting with the family, Mr. Fish... Albert saw Edward's sister, Grace Bud, and thought, Oh, I want her. So he moved on from Edward, and uh, who was his first intended victim, to Grace, and was like, Yep, that's who I'm going to get. He leaves, comes back the next day to meet with him again. Yeah. And he's meeting with him, and he's like, Yeah, I'm going to bring you up to the farm, and I'm I'm definitely going to hire you guys. And Grace was standing with her parents. Like kind of behind them. And he was like, oh, hey, to her parents. And her parents were Delia Flanagan and Albert Budd. He says, hey, I'm going to go to my niece's birthday party later. Would Grace want to come with me? And the parents are like, sure. So he takes Grace to this birthday party. And she never returns. And he never returns either. Fast forward. Yeah, no, don't. How old was she again? She was 10. 10 years old, 10 year old little Grace. And she was like dressed in her like Sunday best and was like so excited to go to this birthday party. And it's awful. She never comes back. You know, there's this whole thing that ensues. They think somebody else like took her and then that kind of whatever doesn't work out, obviously, because he didn't end up taking, he's not the one who took her. November 11th, 1934. So remember, this was May 25th when she went missing. November 11th, 1934. Several years later. Yeah. A letter arrives to Grace's parents. And I'm going to read you the letter. This is what, fucked up, guys. Oh, this is what you were warning me about. Okay. <laughs> My dear Miss Bud. Mrs. Bud. How formal. In 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was from $1 to $3 a pound. So great was the suffering among the very poor that all children under 12 were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat. 
part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body, and sold as veal, cutlet, brought the highest price. What the f- This is in the letter he sent to them? Yeah. John stayed there so long, he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he stole two boys, one seven and one eleven, took them to his home, stripped them naked, tied them in a closet, then burned everything they had on. Several times, every day and night, he spanked them, tortured them, to make their meat good and tender. Oh my God. First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass and, of course, the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass, boiled, broiled, fried, stewed. The little boy was next, went the same way. At that time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street, right, or rear, right side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. Oh my God. I mean, I tell you all the time how good oysters are and you won't even touch them. No, fuck that. And I would never eat human flesh either. Who would be like, oh yeah, my friend told me about this great (laughs) human. (laughs) It's fucking weird. So that was, he was just, you know. Well, he was Um, setting up the story for what I'm sure you're about to say. And remember, this is, this is little Grace's mom. On Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called you. I called on you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you a pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her. On the pretense of taking her to a party, you said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew I did not want to get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in the closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her, and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked. How she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her into small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though. I could have had I wished. She died a virgin. Oh, my God. End of letter. He fucking wrote that and sent it to, his, to her mother. Yeah. Oh, my God. Which, Are you serious? <sighs> when I read that, I was like, oh, my fucking God. The only thing that would make that story worse mm-hmm. is I thought you were about to say that the cheese thing that they ate together was her. Was her. Oh well, God, she was that. home then. Yeah. Yeah, so she was so she still was alive. Still alive. Yeah. But in yeah. in my head for a second, I was like, oh know, my God, he like chopped up her body and then brought it back yeah. for her, her own mother to eat. Which you're like, uh, 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 oh. I like was, have no words. I know, it, it's just, in, okay. I'm still so, so shocked. Yeah, so that, that, was, that was the letter that was sent to Grace's mom. I couldn't imagine the feeling of seeing that and reading that. I know, I know. Like, what you, yeah, so, okay, Grace's bones were never found. So no, nothing was found at all. Once they got the letter and obviously read it, the buds actually turned the letter over to the police, obviously. So here's what's interesting. Investigators noted that the envelope was adorned with a small hexagonal emblem representing a local association for private chauffeurs. They found a janitor at the company's headquarters who admitted to taking some of the stationery home. When they investigated his former residence on 52nd Street, so basically that the letter led to him as a suspect, yeah. Albert Fish in general. Well, yes, duh. Yeah. But not only because of the words, but because of this specific thing. Oh, okay. The company's headquarters, which led to him, which led yeah. to so them going to where Albert was last living. They investigated his former residence at 52nd Street. The landlady revealed that a man named Albert Fish had checked out of the now rooming house mere days prior. So she actually agreed, and they figured it might have been him, so she actually agreed to contact Albert and say that basically there was a check waiting for him and he had, he had to come back to claim it. It led Fish nice. to return and the authorities arrested him on December 13th, 1934. Albert admitted to killing Grace and said he's killed children all over the country. Oh. And in fact, like even when he was talking about his Like he like, just openly was like, oh yeah, I killed other people too. A hundred percent. But he also talked about the fact that he had, he said it in a really gross way. He, he goes, I have kids all over the country. Not referring to them killing them, but referring to him sexually molesting them. And then he said that he's killed kids all over the country. So he's like, I have a kid in every state. It was fucking gross. 
So but he's like flaunting it off. Like he's so fucking proud of himself. <clears throat> yeah. So he actually, in this whole time, there were other kids obviously in that same area that went missing. But I included this one because he was convicted on nobody, but there were two bodies. He just wasn't convicted of them. Mm. So there were actually three killings that he admitted to, although he was suspected of nine just in that area. He admitted to killing Francis McDowell and Billy Gaffney. So Francis McDowell was reported missing on the 14th of July, 1924. His body was found hanging in a tree in some woods that were near his house. The autopsy revealed that he was severely beaten, sexually assaulted, and ultimately choked with his own suspenders. But another article that I read said that he actually had like strips of his like skin that were like missing and shit too. Oh my God. Yeah, so he was just, it was fucked. So the other one, Billy Gaffney, was playing in his apartment's hallway with a Billy Beaton um, and his brother. Beaton's brother briefly left to check on his sister, and when he returned, the two young boys had disappeared. Billy Beaton was later found on the roof of the apartment, but Billy Gaffney was never found. When asked about Billy Gaffney, Beaton said the boogeyman took him, which is creepy as fuck. That's also why he got that name. So March 11th, 1935, his trial actually started and lasted 10 days. He actually, his his defense team uh, claimed insanity, but the jury declared him to be sane and guilty, and he was actually sentenced to death. Good. So January 16th, 1936, and they didn't fuck around with death penalty then. They, like, killed you right away. You didn't stay in prison for, like, 40 years. years. And so, yeah, January 16th, 1936, he died by electrocution at Sing Sing Prison, the same prison Mm. that he had went to several years before. And here's what's really fucking weird. So when he figured out, when he found out that he was being electrocuted on his walk to the chair, he says, this will be the supreme thrill. The only one I haven't tried. Because remember, he loved pain. So he's on his way (laughs) to get killed. And he's just excited. And he's like, oh, mm, supreme thrill. Well, then you should have just done that to yourself. Thank you. Yeah, you should have just killed yourself. His final statements to his lawyer actually were so vile. So he wrote final statements. They were so vile that the lawyer was unwilling to share it. And the the lawyer actually said, I will never show it to anyone. Oh, wow. It was the most filthy string of obscenities that I have ever seen. Oh, my gosh. And that, my friends, is the story of Albert Fish. Oh, my gosh. Which is why I said, dear Albert, you're gross. Yeah. Dear Albert, fuck you. I know. Um, So did he only eat grace? Is that the only body he had? Mm, no, likely not. No. Yeah, but so, seen... yeah. So even though the other bodies he admitted to killing, he was only ever convicted for grace. Yeah. Because he got the death penalty, I think. So so yeah. realistically, they're thinking that he has killed up to 400 kids. My God. That's insane. You know, you know he was like, I've, you know, I've killed hundreds or whatever. But yeah. they don't, like, to this day, they obviously don't know. And that was, you know. Oh, well, it know. was in the early I would suspect years. that from his 20th year... On or at the very least after Thomas, yeah, he likely started killing after that, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I mean, here's the thing: I think that a lot of people, when they have some sort of addiction or or some sort of like sadomasoch, whatever it is, that's not only a once a year thing. Yeah, like they're they're doing shit often. Oh yeah, Um, they're always trying to find that that next that thing. thing. Well, and I think that he was obviously hurting himself, but that turned into wanting to to hurt. Others and it just kept building, right? Yeah. That's why he started just fucking eating people. It's just so it's, it's disgusting. Oh it's so gross. I know. That's why but when I was reading this shit, I was like, This <laughs> is horrible. I know, I was hearing it. I know. So yeah, that was um on the topic of eating meat. Do you want to talk about our next episode? Yes. <laughs> that was episode four. Yes. But the cool thing is is that our next episode, episode five, is all about Thanksgiving. Yes, this is going to be our episode air right before Thanksgiving. So that's right. The Tuesday. We joked about yeah. calling it our Thanksgiving episode. We did. Thanksgiving. And then I switched it to thankful for dot 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 murder. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, episode four comes out on what? what is that? Tuesday the 22nd? Yes, I believe so. I think. Which is exciting. So hopefully everyone is loving this podcast. If you are, only if you are, please go rate and review us specifically on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We would love to hear from you. It helps us build the podcast as well. You can go to our website. We have merch available. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow, follow, follow. We're on TikTok. We post some fun shit there. On all the things. On all the things. Except um, for that one X thing. What's that? Right. What? Yeah, no, we're not on I that. I don't know her. She don't even, I don't even know her. (laughs) Anyway, episode three.
Uh, no, fuck. Four. Episode four. What is wrong with me? We've already talked about this, Kevin. Oh my god, look, this one still says episode three, and it's actually episode five. <gasps> Guys, uh, Anna, thank you. Brandon. Thanks. Thanks. It was Brandon, a blast. thank you. Thanks for your wood chipper. And thanks for your I feel cannibal. ill now. <laughs> I know. I contemplated not reading that fucking letter because it was rough let's but. get something vegan for dinner tonight uh, oh. oh my god <laughs> excuse me uh. thinking about human meat just that just came <laughs> out <laughs> okay but can we not forget about the fact that he put wool I know. soaked in lighter fluid insane. up his butthole and lit it on fire no i want to know how I, like i feel like there should have been a Grey's anatomy episode about that <gasps> Oh my god! If the producers are listening, slash the writers, because they would be doing that. Let's do. They're really that. running out of materials. So they are. They <laughs> really are. Oh yeah, wool up a butt. I don't yeah. even know. It's just fucking crazy. Anyway, thanks for uh, following us. Until next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>